You're listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Here are your hosts, Fran Chismar and Tom Knezic. Welcome back to The Buzz, brought to you by the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Magic Mind and Pinelands Nursery. I am Fran Chismar. And I'm Tom Knezic. Today we're buzzing into episode 123, over across the table from me. How many? 133. <laughs> uh, I was going to make fun of you and call you 50 Take Fran. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Typically we leave our mess-ups, but the mess-ups yeah. have been so bad I've had to keep starting over. Yeah, yeah, but I've been mumble-mouthed. Yeah, but it's... a. Uh, an episode of uh, of thanks, I guess. So you're listening to this on Black Friday. Black Friday. Um, and uh, so hopefully everyone had a, a good time being thankful yesterday, getting to see some family and friends, or, or just reflecting whatever you choose to do on uh, on Thanksgiving Day ho- in the U.S. Are you hosting Thanksgiving? No. Have you no. Th- hosted Thanksgiving? We did once. Okay. Um, and uh, it went really well. It went really well, uh, except <laughs> we we fried the turkey, and my grandmother in law was very used to baking the turkey okay. or putting it in the oven. And um, and the frying thing is a lot quicker. Yeah. But my burner wasn't getting hot enough. I had to turn it off oh. and turn it back on. So I'm okay. like, oh, why is this taking so long to get hot enough? So we it was like 15 minutes late. Yeah. But the number of times I'd hear, oh, it's so much quicker when you, when you just put it in the <laughs> oven. I'm like, no, it's not at all. It's like, I literally is in there for 40 minutes and then it's done. It's just, uh, yeah, we had a little little technical difficulties to starting up. Uh. But. I, it was fun. It was, she, it was funny. Awesome. She was joking around with it. It wasn't like she was being that serious, but we, it was just like, oh my god, you made your point. <laughs> uh, we we are hosting, which I made the mistake of two years ago making a for the. I I made a turkey for the first time. I'm very OCD, and I did a lot mm-hmm. of research and all these things, and I made a turkey that turned out very well. Yeah. So the legend kind of grew, and I was told the turkey is now your duties. You do the turkey. Well. I wasn't expecting to do the turkey again, so I didn't save anything. You do it mm-hmm. once a year like I didn't remember. Oh, yeah. Yep. So I had to research. I did it all differently, but I did it for all of my wife's family last mm-hmm. year, and it turned out even better. Mm-hmm. And now that legend has grown where there's people coming this year to Thanksgiving meal that I've never met. Yeah. <laughs> and, and of course, I threw everything out again last year thinking I don't have to do this again. Mm-hmm. And, you know, having social anxiety and – <laughs> and OCD, yeah. You know, I'm. I'm See, stressed. I've, I've had I'm the dressing uh, out. Like now that the turkey's in the brine and pretty much everything's set up, and I yeah. just have to put it in the oven, I feel pretty good. But it's it's funny you say that, friend, because uh, I've fried a couple turkeys for family, and um, just but they always come out so good. Like I'm not yeah. the normal turkey person, yeah. So yeah, they too. always come out so good that. I'm not allowed to do it again because they don't want anyone's feelings getting hurt. (laughs) There's a time, and I'm going to rag on my mom here a little bit, and she makes really, really good turkey for for Thanksgiving. And uh, we fried one that year. It was actually a turkey that my dad had got hunting. And so we had two turkeys. We fried that one. She picked hers, and one my one aunt, uh, so her sister in law, just kept going on and on about how good <laughs> our yeah. turkey was, the fried turkey was, and like, oh, it's so much better than the other. 
But the, it was like, okay, Tom, you're not allowed to do this anymore. See, I wish so. that's what happened to me. Like, <laughs> I feel the pressure. It's like, oh, what if it doesn't live up to it now? Now I'm like, now all these people are like, I think we have, like, typically Thanksgiving for us is like six to eight people. Like, I think we're up to mm. almost 15 people this year, yeah. which is really maxing it out for, for mm-hmm. our property. And we're doing like an outside bonfire and all these yep. things. But I'm making the announcement at Thanksgiving after Grace yeah. that I'm retiring. Yeah. The turkey. Yep. I think I want to. Hopefully, this one turns out good, and I can like go and out. Realistically, on top. we're all there for the sides anyway. The turkey is uh is yes. not the star. It's it's like the the big name actor that's kind of getting a little washed mm-hmm. up. That you know people are going to come because they're in it. Yes, but they really want to see like the new yes. the new stars the the uh, which is <laughs> not the turkey. It's yeah. Oh, the the sides are interesting. Like we see what everyone's everyone's in charge of bringing either a side dessert or alcohol and alcohol, mm-hmm. and the sides are going to be. This should be a really good meal. Plus, yep. my brother in law is bringing a ten pound brisket, yeah. so you can't really yeah. can't really go wrong. Oh, not at all. So, but I think we should get into the plants we're thankful for this week. Oh, and start are we with, doing that? <laughs> that's hot. <laughs> that's hot. I guess we have to talk about plants at some point. Um, would you like to go first? Or you want um, me to go first? You are really excited over your choice, Fran, so I'm going to let you go first. I am. And, you know, after the the native plant trivia, um, knowing that Steve was saying it's his least favorite native, I, I just thought I'd give some love to sweet gum, uh, mm-hmm. liquid amber, styrasiflua, um, and it, because it also uh, is responsible for giving me the loss in trivia. In bonus time, it is yeah. uh, for representing the tallest tree in New Jersey, which still, still blows my mind. Like I would not have guessed that at all. Mm-hmm. Like not even the height. If you were to say guess the species of the tallest tree, that wouldn't have been in my top three probably. Yeah. But um, it is a deciduous tree, um, and I got all this information, I believe, from our native plant every day uh, mm-hmm. podcast, which is coming back this spring. Yep, we're we're working on uh, season two right now. Uh, deciduous tree from the southern tip of New York to Florida and west of Texas. Leaves are sharply pointed palmate lobes. Brilliant yellow to orange to red fall color. Grows 50 to uh, 75 feet in cultivation up to 150 feet in the wild. Uh, what was it? 132 feet? Was it 132 tallest? feet in, in New uh, Jersey. In Burlington County, New Jersey. Wow. Oh. Um, and smaller branches are winged. Uh, bark is gray and scaly. Uh, branches do uh, carry layers of cork. Seed in gumballs that hurt if you step on them, and but the goldfinches, purple finches, Carolina chickadees, squirrels, chipmunks all eat the seeds of the tree, and it is the larval host uh, for luna moth, which we we did all learn on the native plant trivia, and it's a facultative species. So, uh, very, you know, it's it does volunteer. It, mm-hmm. it can tend to be I don't want to say aggressive, but can you can have dense stands of it? Yes. Um, yep. If left unchecked, yep. because it volunteers in pretty quickly, but. It's a it's a great native plant. It it serves a lot of purposes. Yeah, it it does. It's a staple it's, um, in our in our landscapes here. And I have a, a love hate relationship with this tree because it is a really unique tree, and it's something we've talked about before. And you're underselling the fall color from that brilliant yellow yeah. to to red because it, really it can has even all get three. like a black. Yeah, yeah. it's like and like you can have so all those colors black, on the same. Yeah. And we've talked about this before on here too. But um, yeah, it's like purple, black, red, and it'll well, be all on the same tree. Over it's at really, Foggy, really Foggy cool. Bottom, Tree Bottom, like those leaves are black, like yeah. like yes. reddish mm-hmm. black. It was amazing. Yeah. Yep. And, um, yeah, it's – Steve kind of mentioned it in our trivia episode. It's They come up really quickly. Yes. 
And uh, and actually, just on on social media the other day, Kyle Leibarger put up a post about this, talking about how sweet gums they come up so fast, and a handful of other trees. And what used to happen is you had fire rolled through and would kill those sweet gums off. So you'd have some that survived, but a lot of them didn't, yeah, because they were still small enough, and it made way for those oaks and some of the the next level of succession to emerge through when you don't have that fire on the landscape or you don't have that kind of disruption yeah. in the landscape, those trees, there's nothing to stop those trees. They just grow up. And then you have all these oaks that never really can reach maturity in a way. They just kind of stay stunted and small cause they're not getting enough light. Yeah. And, um, so it's just, we've, we've gotten rid of some of those, like we said, impacts on the landscape that cause disruptions yeah. and cause changes in succession. And uh, and this is a product of that. So I love it because it's beautiful. Yeah, it's it's a really cool tree. They can you can get some big gnarly looking ones. We have some at yeah. our farm where they're non, it's really enormous. Um, but there's also way too many of them in a lot of these stands, especially here in New Jersey and the Mid Atlantic. Oh, totally. It's like there's just too many. We I'm, shouldn't walk through and have fifty percent of your your species or of you have a hundred trees, fifty of them are one species. That's probably not. No, and we're really close to the northernmost range here. Like it really is the southern tip of Mm -hmm. New York, like those counties around New York City, like Westchester, things like that, Rockland County. Like once you get north of there, they're not hardy. Um, I know there's there's cultivars in the trade that are like seedless. I think Rotunda Mm -hmm. Loba, but it has a rounded instead of uh, palmate, like the the tips of the leaves are rounded. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which to me, I just saw a picture of that the other day, which is really cool. And they're supposed to be, I can't remember the name, that's supposed to be cold hardy that can go into upstate New York. I don't know how true that is, Mm -hmm. but you know, we always, we always promote straight species anyway, but I know there's cultivars of that, that plant out there. I'm not a fan of how the rotunda loba looks either. Yeah, it was, it was a little weird. I, I just saw it on, um, there's an Instagram account I follow, uh, just started following actually called, uh, New York botany. And I think they're somewhere in the South right now. I don't follow that closely. Yeah. And, um, and they had a picture of it up on their story. I'm like, Oh, I hadn't seen that before. So, so what do you got this week? Uh, so my plant this week is Chasmanthium latifolium, which I always called Northern sea oats. I always have as well, but Jersey friendly yards has it as Indian wood oats, which is a different common name for it. I haven't heard. And, uh, I'll read a little bit about what they have on their website, and then I'll kind of give some of my ideas of why I like it, why I chose it this week. And uh, I so love this choice. Actually. Wood oats is one of the most shade tolerant ornamental grasses. Its green flowers emerge on long, arching stems above the foliage, August through September. The distinctive large drooping seed heads turn reddish brown and resemble oats as they mature. The leaves resemble bamboo and turn golden bronze in the fall. This plant retains its color and seed heads throughout the colder months. That's why I'm talking about it now. We're starting to get a little colder. This is a standout in oh, my garden seat, right yeah. now. It's yeah, like totally. you're kind of wait, and if you look closely earlier in the year, it's like wow, this is really cool. The seed is just yeah. is so it's it's kind of looks like that rattlesnake tail pattern where they overlap slightly, and it's yeah. it's a pattern like that, but it's, they're flat. Yeah, and they come to like a little point on the end, and it's just really and cool I, seed. And I think where the the common name northern sea oats that the the seed head resembles sea oats, which is a dune plant uh, further south, Uniola paniculata. So that's what you'll find on the dunes in like North Carolina, South Carolina. They have very similar seed heads. Mm-hmm. The, the difference is that's an upland dune, dry dune plant where northern sea oats is like almost like a 
like a riverbed. Like I think it's facultative wet. I want to say I'm not sure, but I believe it's facultative wet. So yeah, Uh, it's also host to a number of butterfly and moth larvae, um, including the pepper and salt skipper, uh, the Bell's roadside skipper, the bronze roadside skipper, and uh, it can tolerate full sun. Where I have it is full sun, and it does great. Um, But if you have a place that likes it shadier. Here's a plant that yeah. you can use there. So, um, And thank you, Jersey Friendly Arts, for having such a great write-up about this plant. Because That's awesome. I was just say, hey, I love how it looks in the fall. It gets a really cool color. <laughs> it's like a golden bronze. The yeah. seed heads are awesome. Adds just like that winter interest, totally. which everyone's looking for. So, And yeah. I, lo- I like that uh, they add uses, too. That's something we do in native mm-hmm. plant every day. So shade gardens, borders, naturalized areas, meadows, along water features, you know, all yep. great features. And, and it really is a standout, you know, which is – for a grass to have that striking of a seed head, like everyone asks. I know your brother had mm-hmm. used them in the centerpieces yeah. for our dinner this summer, and everyone was mm-hmm. commenting on that. Yep. So, yep. so awesome. yeah, here's that story with the the liquid ambar styracifluor rotunda loba. Wow, I've never yeah. seen that one that large before. Yeah. I'd only and, ever uh, seen them. Yeah, in that. that's the well, you guys. Yeah, everyone you listening, say, you can't. So this say, is another so I, episode of bad podcasting here. So instead but, of the ends of the leaf coming to a they're point, they're all round yeah. it. Yeah. Which and I, yeah, that's why I always describe the leaf. As looking as uh, of the the we're talking back to liquid ambar the the sweet gums I always describe the leaf of being the prototypical tree star from Land Before Time. Yes, and I, is, I know a lot of our listeners have agreed with you on yeah. that. So totally great, two great choices. If you don't have them in your gardens, uh, go ahead and add them. And if you don't have sweet gum, don't worry; it will volunteer. <laughs> it will volunteer itself in. Um, what do you think? You want to do some this or that? Yeah, let's do it. All right. All right, so I didn't check this morning. I checked. We were actually supposed to be recording this yesterday, and it got pushed to today. So I didn't check oh, back today. I'm, I'm going to look real quick, friend. All you right, can fill time while. All right, uh, so <clears throat> we need the uh, most was, accurate results. We're recording yes. this a little bit earlier than we normally would, or typically. No. Well, I guess it's now it's normal. No, it's actually normal. We were yesterday, recording it earlier, earlier, than we and I did have would. a count at the end of the day yesterday. There were 13 votes. There are 13 votes. Okay, okay. so it's still uh, the same. well. No, I'm, I haven't gotten there yet. Okay. Um. There were 13 votes yesterday when I checked. So let's see if it's still. Oh, Christiane didn't pin it to the top. No, I got to find it. Oh, gosh. It's about six or seven. uh, There are still 13 votes. All right. And you are still. Wait. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. No, I got (laughs) enough. So we we have a winner. Now now there are 14 (laughs) votes. I just added my phone. I'm teasing. And I am the winner. And I I think the. the uh, deciding vote, I got the Bill Stusnick vote this week. You did. After saying yeah. that he never votes for me, which he did email you to, to He emailed me, me to tell me that he did vote, vote right. for you. So. All right. So I did get the Bill Stusnick vote, and I won seven to six this week. So I – what do I typically do? Do I go you first? You typically or? go first. All right. I'm going to go first. Again. All right. I was going to say I thought I would always went last. I went, ah, I'm going to let you go first. But You typically go last because I go first because yeah. I won. Yeah. But you didn't <laughs> win. <so. laughs> I finally won. All right. I'm I'm actually going to go first this week. So, um, and the the two the two um, articles from last week I didn't mention were I had the article about the uh, California Native Plant Society uh, with uh, inclusivity and Tom with presi- uh, pres- prescribed burns preventing Lyme disease. Mm-hmm. So, um, my article this week is this Floridian designer overcame neighborhood restrictions for a lawn-like look. Um, And this is by Gregory Hahn, and it was on dwell.com. Master gardener Steve Turnipseed 
turned to untraditional ground coverings while incorporating over 100 native Floridian plant species into his design. Now, we just learned, like, Florida has how many champion trees? Was it number one? No, they was were in the top um, three. I think they were number two. I think they had in the 90s. Yeah, which is pretty but Virginia amazing. was number one with 101 or 110. Yeah. In that, and I had picked, somewhere between there, I had so. picked North Carolina, which I think you said was eleven or thirteen, yeah, which was yeah. surprising me. Uh, Turnip Seed, who is the founder and inaugural president of the Villages Chapter of Florida Native Plant Society, has long had an interest in native plants. But when he first arrived in Florida, he was disappointed in the aesthetics of a lot of the native landscapes that he toured. I knew I could create something stunning, but I'd have to do it myself. He said. Central to his process was navigating the strict regulations outlined by the village's architectural review committee, the equivalent of a homeowner's association, including a neat and tidy requirement, he says. He had to plan enough ground cover maintained to a uniform height of uh, less than 12 inches to achieve a lawn-like appearance. To do so, he used such plants as flowering perennial phyla natiflora, also known as frog fruit, which grows quickly and is drought and flood tolerant. It's proven to be the best native ground cover for our planting zone, Turnip Seed said, and it has the benefit of being the host plant to three butterflies and as a pollinator plant to many insects. For those who need something even lower maintenance, he recommends Asiatic Jasmine, Asiatic Jasmine, which is even hardier. It's listed as uh, as Florida friendly because it uses less water, chemicals, and maintenance. Ideally, you have to have native plants that support native insect populations. He adds. But small numbers of non-natives, as long as they are adapted to the climate and not harmful to the surrounding ecosystem, can work when needed. Turnip Seed's garden now features almost 100 native Floridian plant species while using a small fraction of the water the lawn required. Feathery clump grasses paired with trees and shrub create microclimates inviting birds and pollinators. Perennials and annuals are orchestrated to open at different times of the day. Sometimes people ask why I'm sitting out in my garden, says Turnip Seed. I'll tell them this is where the butterflies come. Uh, so this is a little bit more, I think, of a uh, question answer possibly. Uh, Joel asked, how do you suggest getting rid of your lawn to plant other things? Steve Turnipseed, there are a few ways in order of preference. Herbicide the grass and then plant. Perform correctly. It gets rid of all the grass weeds uh, that will otherwise invade the ground cover. Typically, two applications of the chemical about 10 days apart. Read and follow label directions. The area should be completely brown before planting. That keeps the organic material from the dead grass in place. Solarization. This is performed with clear plastic for six weeks during the summer months when there is the most sun and the warmest temperatures. The plastic creates a greenhouse effect, killing the grass, seeds, and other microbes with heat. The drawback is the time the lawn is covered with plastic. The sheeting has to be pinned securely uh, and in place to prevent lifting during a breeze. You can also try smothering, covering the area with a layer of cardboard and optionally a top layer of mulch for a minimum of three months or turf cutting, the most expensive option in which a machine is used but many grassroots and seeds remain that can regrow after the planting. So um, this is something a lot of our listeners talk about mm-hmm. is, hey, I, I want to do this but there's so many restrictions, uh, municipality restrictions, homeowner yep. association restrictions. Yep. I don't know how to overcome it. I think it's a little harder in our area. Define things. One of our coworkers, Christiane, mm-hmm. is is battling the same thing because she wants to have a little bit more of a meadow effect, but mm-hmm. there's a a right away that she can't get around the height. Yeah, and she's she's working to try. Oh, yeah, and, there's a, a height limit in our our municipal ordinances of ten right inches. Away. Yeah, so it's um yeah you can't have anything higher than ten inches, which means you can't have a a meadow. Well, a very tall meadow. Yeah. <laughs> But I love that even with the restrictions, someone found the way to orchestrate that and still incorporate over 100 different natives 
in the property. How many different natives do you think you have on your property? Um. Oh gosh. Do you want me to count real quick? I'm, I I counted mine. I actually I started a spreadsheet. I I'm up yeah. to about thirty five different native. Yeah. Natives that are actually like in my garden. I I I feel like it can't be that many, but it probably is. Okay. Um, Bitch, it is if you think about it. Yeah. I have the luxury of uh of every once in a while I'm like I'll do well, I'll have extra plants and um from from yeah. sales and yeah. stuff. So I'll have extras. I'm like, well, I don't want to throw these out. So I'll just <laughs> I'll just plant them in different places. And then if I don't like them there, then I'll try and move them. <laughs> so um yeah, so that's where I get my diversity is is through that. Nice. Yeah. Now, but it works. now I'm gonna have to figure out. You know, I'll look at my spread. I'm just, I'm just going off a of memory, which I could be wrong. I have a spreadsheet at home. I'll look. I have to update it because I, I think I may have added one or two yeah. things, but I'll have to look. Yeah, so. I'm going to count right off the top of my head, real quick. So I have Pensamon digitalis. Okay. So are we counting ones that are native to the East Coast, but not native? Yeah, in our I'll count range? those. So I'll then, count then those, you have because yeah. uh, I counted hydrangea quercifolia, which isn't Packer aria, um, Tiarella cordifolia, and Eucra America, no, Eucra Velosa. It's not, okay. I didn't have Americana, so I got okay. Velosa. Velosa. Um, I have Heliopsis, Helianthoides, Echinacea, uh, Purpurea. Um, oh my God, Monarda fistulosa, Monarda punctata, Monarda didyma. Okay. Uh, Uringium yuccifolium. So there's 10. All right. Um, I have Rhododendron maximum. I should get into the shrubs a little bit. I have Eupatorium purpurium, Eupatorium fistulosum. And Eupatorium perfoliatum. Okay. Um, oh, man. I know there's a bunch more. I'm blanking. I like, oh, Baptisia australis. Yeah. Carex pennsylvanica. Uh, the Champsia cespitosa. Okay. I'm doing a really bad job of saying the common names of all these two. All yeah. these people who don't know the Latin. <laughs> they're like, what? They're what? like, oh, why is he going what? on and what? on with all this, <laughs> this stuff? Um, and then uh, there's another grass that's in there. Oh, uh Little blue stems, schizocarium, okay. scoparium, yeah. and broom sedge. I have yeah. both of them. I have Muhlenbergia capillaris, which is is pink muley grass. Um, Liatra spicata, Culver's root. So that's uh, uh, Veronicaceum virginicum. Yeah. Um, so that's twenty one or twenty two. Yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah, and then uh, there's a bunch more. I'm forgetting. I know. Uh, Coriopsis. Uh, yeah, Coriopsis lanceolata. Okay. Uh, was it Coriopsis tinctoria? Is that the other one? Is that the the oh triloba or is it the triloba? No, I don't think so. There's another. I have two different kinds of Coriopsis. Okay, so now I'm up to twenty three. Or tripetala, one of those. Rubecchia triloba. Oh, that's Rubecchia what I'm, I'm sorry. That's what I was thinking. Rubecchia fulgida. Yeah. Oh, this is just the front yard too. I'm forgetting about the backyard. Yeah, because you have circus. <laughs> like you I, have, I was. Yeah, I have uh, red bud. So I have a circus canadensis. Um, I have Ilex verticillata. I have. Uh, Viburnum trilobum, which is not very drought hardy in my experience. All right. Uh, so vib- that's cranberry bush viburnum. Yeah. I have viburnum dentatum, which is arrowwood. I have magnolia virginiana. So that's 31 now. There's got to be more. I know there's, I know for a fact there's more. But um, yeah, so I'd say I'm probably in that yeah. like 30 to 40 range. Yeah. It's. I think I'm around thirty. Yeah, I think I'm around thirty. I was in my head, kind of going. I'm like going. I'm like walking through my garden in my mind to figure. Like, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh wait, I forgot. Ten steps ago, there was this <laughs> back there. Um, what else? I planted something else that was supposed to be pretty tall, but I don't remember what it was. 
And then and then that's not counting the poison ivy that comes in. Yeah. You have like yeah. the hedgerow there, there's another like I have black cherry and, and um black locust and not that that's yeah. necessarily something I want there. But I mean there's things, there's a whole bunch of other things in there. I, I too. mean there's just like because the back of my property is wooded. Like there's plenty of native like yeah. we have silver maple, red maple, sugar maple, yeah. green ash, or is it white ash white ash, white oak, red oak, black mm. oak, like we have all the like there's suga canid not uh suga uh taxis canadensis yeah. like there's all these things that were already there plus poison yeah. ivy now going in the hedgerow not counting well there's a lot of invasive plants in there too yeah and it's something totally. that i didn't realize like i went through one day um i'll, I'll big admission here i had a an area in my driveway that had some weeds coming up and i was i have a gravel driveway so i was yeah. spraying some roundup i had a little extra in the tank and said, oh, I'm going to go see what invasives are in the hedgerow <laughs> over here. And I just torched them. Wow. I, I, it was uh, a lot of different honeysuckles. Um, I had privet in there. I had multiflora rose. I had all kinds of wow. stuff in there. And like, there's stuff I'm like, I this is not a native plant from what I can tell. Yeah. Um, but I don't know what it is. So I, I naturalist real quick. And it's like, oh, this is privet. I've heard of privet, but I didn't really know what it looked like. Yeah. And so I'm like, oh, we're going to wand you down and. You know, <laughs> and it worked. It, like they all, they're all dead now. Yeah. And uh, now I have. I know we're getting way off topic. One more thing, and then yeah. we got to get to your article. I so we went hiking two weekends ago in Winona, mm-hmm. New Jersey, to the Winona Conser- Conservation Trails, and that's the first time I've ever seen huge areas of woodland taken over by wisteria, and you mm-hmm. could see yeah. it specifically because they still had leaves in fall color when everything else had dropped its leaves. Mm-hmm. But it was like literally huge stands. And I like I have an invasive in our in our natural area, but not like this. Like I'd never yeah. seen where you're just walking through nothing but wisteria. Mm-hmm. And it was you know, that those are some of the things where people go, Ah, oh, that's not invasive. No, it's not invasive maybe in your yard, but yeah. You see it there and boom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So yep. all right, what do you got this? All week? right. My uh, article was uh, More Yield, Fewer Species, How Human Nutrient Inputs Alter Grasslands. This is actually an article out of Germany. Oh, okay. Um, that was translated to English. And uh, and I basically boiled it down to the most important parts that I'm going to read. And awesome. then kind of give some of my thoughts because it's something I hadn't really thought about. All right, awesome. article was by uh, Tabea Tarini and Sebastian Tilch, uh, both from the German Center for Integrative Biodiversity Research. So. One of the reasons for glo- or for the global threat to biodiversity is that we humans introduce more nutrients into our, vi- our environment than would naturally be present there, for example, when fertilizing agricultural land. In addition, precipitation redistributes excess nutrients to other areas, and nutrients can enter our soils through air pollution. Natural grasslands are a, habit- a habitat for many different plant species, including grasses, herbs, wildflowers, and orchids, many of which can be threatened by human activities and impacts. Plant needs plants need three things to grow: carbon dioxide from the air, water, and nutrients from the soil. Uh, the latter are usually scarce in semi-natural European meadows. Although this limits the growth of individual plants, it favors the possibility of many different species growing side by side. Excessive amounts of nutrients, however, create the image of its um, um, excuse me ubiquitous. I got like a little frog oh, in my throat wow. here. I, I do too, for some reason. Ubiquitous in our landscape today. Lush green meadows, but without the colorful flowers of former times. It has long been known that excess nutrients reduce biodiversity, but until now, the process behind it has been unclear. Researchers from IDIV, UFZ, and MLU have now investigated the causes of this phenomenon in collaboration with a large international team. 
To do this, they record the plant species uh, plant species community on fertilized and unfertilized grasslands in experiments at 59 sites on six continents over a period of 13 years. The analysis shows that, on one hand, more species got lost in the fertilized areas than in the unfertilized grasslands during the study period. On the other hand, fewer new species arrived during this time. The species composition also changed on the unfertilized areas. However, losses and gains were balanced out here. The number of species remained constant in the total. In addition, the researchers recorded the above-ground biomass produced, as expected the biomass of the harvested plants, uh, was higher in the fertilized trial plots than the unfertilized ones observable in the first year of the experiment. Our results show that when unnaturally large amounts of nutrients are present, a few species benefit particularly, says Emma uh, Leducer. Many other not-so-competitive species fall by the wayside. We lose them, and new species have a hard time establishing and taking hold. Something we've talked about before we have um, we've seen anecdotal evidence at some of our job sites like new york city yeah. was saying they have found i know i uh i'm trying to remember the gentleman's name i always forget his last you name do always Fel- forget. feller um i've never met him um, uh, i just he, hear you talk he about actually him spoke at one of our customer appreciation dinners and they were saying everywhere that um everywhere that it was landfill land that was filled mm-hmm. with nutrients. It was less biodiverse and more invasive. And everywhere where it was natural soil, which was sandy and less mm-hmm. nutrient, was all natives and more biodiverse. So, yeah, like just what they've seen with islands and backfills and stuff like. Oh that. yeah, the example I always I always uh, remember is at the Onondaga Lake project up in Syracuse, New York. One of our our customers did uh, describe a situation where they brought in like this beautiful. Uh, topsoil that to put along the edge and planted all the native plants that they bought from us there. And uh, only thing that came up was cattails. <laughs> all they yeah, had was cattails. And they kind of started to do the work and say, oh, well, cattails thrive in high nutrient um, uh, situations. And a lot of these plants don't really need that high nutrient. So all the stuff that we, we brought in, all this fertilizer and all this like really rich soil, and that's not what, what the plants we planted need. Uh, so they were able to have a much more diverse planting when they just used the native soils there. They didn't use that that amended. So we get that idea that this is going to be really, really good for plant. Oh, we're helping them. We're giving them fertilizer. We're doing all this stuff. Yeah. But um, it's helping certain plants more than others. Yeah. There's certain plants that are adapted to it, and there's others that aren't. So there's no real benefit for them. Exactly. In fact, it can hurt some of those plants, as we found out here at the nursery when we've over-fertilized yes. stuff. So yeah. it's uh, uh and yeah. it's Mike Feller. Mike I Feller. always want to say Bob Feller, the baseball player, and that's why okay. I always get. But he was he's retired, but he was the chief naturalist in New York mm-hmm. City parks. Yeah, but yeah, so it's um some just something to think about is fertilizer isn't always good, especially in some of these. Now, the things that you can't control is uh well one you can't control what your neighbors are putting down in their yard. Exactly. Uh, you can have conversations, non-combative conversations, hopefully. But um, but they're still gonna hire the the landscape company or the lawn company to come in, and they're gonna fertilize. They're gonna do all this because this is what you're supposed to do, right? You're yeah. supposed to put down this stuff. Um, and and luckily they're moving some some companies are moving to more organic options, which is probably more beneficial. But yeah. still, a fertilizer is a fertilizer at the end of the day, and it's not all going into your soil on your site. It, yeah. You get a rainfall the next day, a lot of it's washing away into your, your storm drains or into your creeks or whatever waterways you have nearby. Um, 
and then it it's going someplace. Yeah. It's and the water is ending up someplace. So, and in a lot of cases, ended up in some of these natural areas. And um, and same thing. Like you're not going to stop agricultural fertilizer from no. being put down. No, you're not, not going to stop air pollution, which is a big thing. How like well, we're as a as a world, we're trying to curtail it, but um, but in the immediate future that's not it's not happening next year it might happen by 2030 we might have some some uh more results in that field but so it's uh but it even it's it's even just the the soils that are brought yeah. in you know it's like where my old house was like you saw mm-hmm. the area in the in the far back and what that naturally yeah. and the yeah. the the land around the house that soil was nothing like the natural mm-hmm. lands there and yeah. it's um you know, and it showed, and and everything reacted differently. <laughs> reacted differently from there. It's it's something to really unpack. You know, because it's not just one area or one city. Yeah, it's or one lake. It's across the world that they have mm-hmm. these results. Yeah, and it's something to really like. Why are we doing this? Yeah, we talk about it with the bees all the time. It's like we don't know how much we've lost already because we only just started keeping track. Now with plants, we've been keeping track yeah. for a long time, but. Still, it's how many of those little bitty things that we've never seen in in the rainforest or never seen in some of these prairies, um, just because no one really cared before. What did they? How many things disappeared without us even knowing they were there in the first place? Yeah, I think a lot of this comes to putting the wrong. You know, we always say right plant, right or right plant, right place. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're putting the wrong the wrong plant in the wrong place, you're fertilizing it to fix mm-hmm. it just not being in the right conditions or yep. the right soil yep. and you're like oh it just needs fertilizer it's maybe it's just not the right choice and that's a whole different thing to unpack <laughs> yeah when when dealing with landscape especially if you're not educated with a lot of those conditions you're just dealing with what you like not what not what's right so i think um it's a great article i always love when it's backed up with science yeah it's uh it was nice to see one, that this isn't just something we're thinking about in the U.S. We're thinking about yeah. this worldwide. Yeah. It's happening all over it's the a, place. It's a problem. Um, it's And it's probably exacerbated in Europe and and parts of Asia um, just because civilization has been there yeah. a lot longer. Um, I'm not saying people have been there a lot longer because people have been Everyone. for tens of yeah. thousands of years. But civilization as we know it has been there a lot longer than it has been in the Americas and um and and other places a lot longer time to impact yeah totally so So two great articles um make sure we'll have these up listen because it's the holiday i know these the vote's not going to go up probably until monday um it won't be over the weekend Mm -hmm. so uh make sure you stop by monday to social media so you can vote because and of course the choice is yours all right, what do you think? You want to do listener shout-outs I do, but first, Fran, i got to ask you about the coffee pot in the back office. It's still pretty full. <laughs> You're usually done by noon. What's going on? That's actually me. You know, it only took two years of, of preaching to our listeners about a, a healthy ecosystem that I finally took the advice and tried to trying to create a healthier me. And, you know, my biggest vice has always been coffee. I've been drinking 48 ounces a day for as long as I can remember. And I tried to cut cold turkey, and I was getting headaches. Uh, I was I wasn't focused. I was actually grumpy, and I did some research. I found this product called Magic Mind. 
that I supplement my coffee with. And I got to tell you, I feel alert again. I feel productive. Like I hit this flow state and I just, I overall feel better. I saw you bring that in the other day. It was that little green bottle. You it had, is. Right? I made you smell it. Yeah. You it think? actually smelled pretty good. It's, you know, and it, it actually tastes really good. It's a two ounce green shot uh, and it contains, uh, here's your word of the day. Do you know what a nootropic is? I have no idea. <laughs> so, I didn't even know how to pronounce it until well, you just said I had to look it up too. I'm not that smart, but uh, it's a natural supplement and it, supposed to improve your focus and your attention while helping work your memory. And it's all the things I kind of want. And I was definitely not getting that with coffee. Yeah. I actually just pulled up their ingredients list on my computer and it's got lion's mane mushroom, which is pretty cool. It's I got love honey. that. Actually. It's got echinacea and native plant in there. It's so all it's, great. It's all stuff I can pronounce. All great things. It has matcha, which has way less caffeine than uh, coffee. And it also contains catechins, which slows your body's ability down to absorb caffeine. So you, you can do it without Coffee, if you want, I take a cup of coffee and then I do that, and I'm in that flow state for like six, seven hours. Awesome, awesome. Where can I get this? So you can go to magicmind.co backslash native plants. I recommend the subscription because I'm horrible at going to the store and getting this stuff. It's just easier if it comes to me. If you use the code native plants20, you'll get 40% off a subscription. If you just want to try a one time purchase, use the native plants20 and you'll get 20% off your purchase. I do recommend the subscription. Because it's uh, this code's only good for ten days and it's a money back guarantee, so you really have nothing to lose. Yeah, I'm not a coffee guy, but I kind of want to try it. I would, I would give it a shot. We'll put all the information in our show notes, but uh, just make sure you go to MagicMind.co backslash Native Plants and use the code Native Plants twenty to get forty percent off a subscription or twenty percent off a single purchase. All right, now let's do listener shout outs. You got it. Listener, listener, shout out, shout out. I see we got five-star reviews. We got multiple, but only, only one of them wrote. Yeah. <laughs> so I get I only know who one of them is, so that's the one I'm going to plug this week. I was actually disappointed because we did get like a fair a number, amount, yeah. but only one person left a comment. Yep, yep. And that person was Bonsai667, uh, who is a birder who wants to know or who wanted to know how to interact with native plants and has really been liking our podcast, uh, even though we know very, very little about birds. We need Hopefully to go that's back gonna to change. Yeah. Because we are gonna try we've reached out to a couple ornithologists and haven't had much luck there, but yeah, but we want to have some ornithologists come on to talk about how birds interact with native plants. I, I've reached out to some as well and I haven't had anyone yep. get back to me. Although we do have some great guests lined up moving mm-hmm. forward. That's just one place where I think we've been lacking since yep. New Jersey Audubon mm-hmm. uh, came on, and I'd like to revisit that. Yeah. So, and I do have an, another one, sure, um, that yeah. really only came up yesterday. Okay, and uh, that's because I had a, a Zoom meeting, and this person said said to me, "Friend gave me as a listener shout out like a long time ago, and it, I was so excited, I was playing it for all my friends. Really? So I'm going to give him another listener shout wow. out. That was Laura Bush from a." Uh, with the Native oh. Plant Society, said yeah. she saw you in a meeting and you gave her a listener shout-out. And I'm yeah. giving her a listener shout-out now, too. So oh, that's working awesome. on some really, really cool stuff uh, with Native Plant Society. So. That's fantastic. Yeah. That's, you know, I'll throw I, – I have one written down, but I'll throw another one. It's uh, – I'm, Friend, you're not allowed to do that. Oh, okay. Only, Never mind. Just I'll me. just do that. I'll stick to the script. Uh, I believe it's Graham King from the Mariners Museum uh, mm-hmm. who called this morning, was having some issues with the website, putting an order through, and just at the end said, hey, love the love the podcast. Oh, awesome. Thank you. So it was it was nice hearing that. Uh, mine was Lynn, uh, Lynn Kuntzman, uh, who is a master gardener in the Rogue Valley of Southern Oregon. Um, and she started from the beginning and mm-hmm. is around episode 70. Like yeah. that's – that's commitment because I was like, oh, that's probably when I would tell you to start listening 
around episode yeah. 70. But uh, she gave us some great uh, guest suggestions that are a little more West Coast oriented. Mm-hmm. And we were just talking the other day. We were looking at some analytics for the podcast and it blew my mind that the our number one city for the amount of listeners is New York City. And number two is Seattle, Washington. Yeah, wow. Totally blew my mind. I would not have – would not have guessed that. Yeah, I know. I definitely wouldn't have either. Um, and then it goes Philadelphia, Denver, Georgia. It makes me. Uh, it makes me feel a little worse about how much I rag on coffee, <laughs> and knowing that we have so many <laughs> listeners in Seattle. That's, uh, <laughs> how's that but, for a stereotype? But we talk. Of, we talk very. What do you call people talk, from Seattle? I don't know. Are they? They're not Seattleans. Seattleites. Seattle. See, I, I hope it's Seattleites because I really like that. I almost I almost used the wrong stereotype. I was like, we're ragging on coffee, but they have great donuts. But that's Portland. Yeah, or, that is. They that are is, they are Seattleites. I love yeah, that. I like that. Seattleites. That's awesome. <laughs> that's. But two great, two great, uh, actually four great listener shout outs. Uh, you, but I wasn't expecting this. But we actually have some questions. Cool. This week, I want to ask you a bunch of questions. I want to have them answered immediately. It's a simple question. Um, no, I didn't hear you. What was your question? I feel like it's been a while since we've had a question, and then we got two. Yeah, oh, so, yeah. which is good. And it wasn't Putting Saul. To work. We'll have to check on Saul. It, it's Saul has called in so infrequently that I'm sure we have listeners that have no idea who Saul I is. I would imagine that's probably true. Like um, if he were I'd, to pop up, like it would be a whole new slew of, who's this guy? I'm wondering if, if Saul is a coffee fan and that's where uh, why he started to tune out. You know what? I'm going to find out. I'm I'm gonna shoot Saul a text after the show and see see what's going on. I, Maybe you say might not want to open that, that Pandora's box, <laughs> Ren. <laughs> All right, let's play the first question. I am nine years old, and I am from Connecticut. My question is, why can some plants live in some parts of the world but not others? Thank you very much. P.S. Who's your favorite Harry Potter character? Oh, that was a two-pronged question. Um, all right, so why can some plants live in some part of the world but not other parts? I, I think there's that's – all. That's a very big question because mm-hmm. there's there's a lot of reasons, and it comes down to climate. Some plants can only live where it's warm. Can I stop you for a second there, friend, and say, are we sure that wasn't Saul? I'm pretty sure that was not Saul. (laughs) I've made this call and just using a voice changer. (laughs) Uh, But there's there's plants that can only live in cold climates. There are plants Mm -hmm. that can only live in warm climates. There's there's plants that have to go through the seasonal change, um, soil types or moisture. Uh, We even talked a little bit about it in that last article is that Mm – Different plants have different nutrient requirements, yeah. and there's there's certain areas that have are much more nutrient dense yeah. um, in their soils, and there's a lot more organic material in their soils than other parts. Yeah. Um, we talked about even in the in the native plant trivia, we talked about Florida having more diverse, more more champion trees because there's more biodiversity mm-hmm. because of its climate alone, because yeah. um, yeah. there's things that can only survive there um, mm-hmm. because of the climate and. If you think about it, even when you go to the beach, mm-hmm. there's plants there that can take salt, and there's there's some plants that you'll only see living in the sand yeah. near the beach because they need to that that dry sandy condition, and they they need the salt or mm-hmm. they can handle the salt spray. Yeah, yeah. we talked. I think you mentioned temperature too. Is there some yeah. things like that just can't handle 
as cold of temperatures yeah. as others. You think yeah. of some of your your uh, like cold temp northern hemisphere um, conifers, yeah. and it's like well, there's things that can outcompete them when you get that further down yeah. south. Things that can grow really fast and 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 really quickly and get a little crazy. But, but uh, and there's other things that those things that are down south that they just can't handle the cold temperatures yeah. further north. Yeah, kind of like people, like where it gets colder and colder, it's it's harder. It makes life a little harder. Mm-hmm. Or if it's in- incredibly hot, it makes life a little harder. Unless of course you have central air or yeah. air conditioning. So it's uh that's that's more or less. But there's some plants that can take a wide variety, and you can take a plant from Europe and bring it here, and it survives because it's. Mm-hmm. It can just take multiple climates, and yeah. it might be, or, they, or there's less com- on a similar latitude, and it's just it's similar climate. Yeah, that's a lot of the plants that are we use uh, or non-native plants we use in landscapes. Or if you look at the the globe and you follow that line, your latitudes and longitude. Do people know latitude and longitude at nine years old? When do they start learning that? I don't know. That's, I would think at yeah. that point you're probably learning it about that age. Anyway, usually on some globes there's lines, and there's lines it's that go up and down. There's moment. lines that go horizontally. Yeah. And you can go if you just follow that around, and you say, "Well, I'm here in Connecticut," and I go around and see where that lines up in Europe and in Asia. You'll see well, the plants that we're using here tend to be similar, similar amount plants, of, similar They're amount of daylight, similar amount, similar, like amount of, similar yeah. area, so yeah. similar temperature, similar amount of daylight, uh, just an overall similar climate. Yeah. So, so hopefully, you know, for 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 mom and dad, if 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 you haven't learned longitude and latitude yet it's a great teaching moment mm-hmm. at that point yeah so we'll give you some more work to do at home yep. um, now yes are you a harry so, potter um, we've talked about this before are you have you watched the harry potter franchise i've watched the movies i had i didn't watch the last movies until within the last 10 years all right have um, you watched fantastic beasts also no. I've, no, i'm caught up on those um i i only read three of the books like so but I've so watched I watched all the movies. That was the thing is I so I guess I was probably I was eight when the first book came out. Okay. I so was you just, were it was right about the right age. Harry Potter, the first Harry Potter, what's the Sorcerer's Stone, was I think one of the first like longer books I read by myself. Yeah. And my mom was reading it to my brother and I like on her lap. She's reading yeah. a little bit on her lap every night. And then I would I eventually just took the book and finished it. Because I really like the story, yeah. and then it became a thing. It was I was one of those kids who, when the book came out, I got it within yeah. like the first couple of days, and I would read the whole. Th- I just sit in my room, read all day, all night until I was done, and like not sleep, and then um and finished up until the last book. Because then I was eighteen, I was in okay. college. All right, so yeah, and um, so you're like a really good age for that. And uh, yeah, I was like in the the height of yeah. when all the books came out, and I never finished the last book. I started reading it. And I'm like, I would rather. I'm like I just I don't know I just got out of reading at that point. My so, my but favorite was, character I'm I'd have to I have to think a little. Bit. All right, well I'll I'll tell a little story. So even for my kids when they were born, like I've seen some great ideas to do with kids, like start an email address and every time there's good memory or good photo, yeah. email them, and then when they're old enough, give them the password to to look at all the emails. Mm-hmm. But um, I did time capsules for yeah. my kids. So like the year they were born, it was like all the different. All the different currency, stamps, uh, magazines, newspaper from the day they were born or the month they were born, like all that. But I did – for the year they were born, there's an unopened 
uh, copy of whatever Harry Potter book was released oh, that nice. year, like first edition, yeah. like still in the box, like because Amazon, you could get it so it arrived the day of. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's still in the, the Harry Potter box, just mm-hmm. not open. So. Nice. I thought that would be a cool thing. Like, because they, even though they were a little bit towards the end, they still, there was still that Harry Potter. Obviously, if there's nine-year-olds today asking, it's still oh yeah very popular. Yeah. All right, do you have a? I have one. If, you go with your favorite character. I I I had to think about it, but if I had to pick one, I would say my favorite character is Severus Snape. Interesting, because yeah. I felt that even though he disliked James Potter mm-hmm. because of how he was bullied by him and his friends, he still protected Harry and risked his life for him. Yeah. And all for the love of Lily. So he showed great friendship, great dedication. Even in harm's way, he did what was right, mm-hmm. even though it meant the end of his life. Yeah. See, I'm not. I'm not big on the uh, the Severus Snape redemption arc. Same thing with a lot of like the <laughs> yeah. Disney villain yeah. redemption arc, like the Cruella de Vil movie that yes. just came out with. Uh, when she's, it's like, oh well, she was just misunderstood. No, just let her be a bad person. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, yeah, I understand yeah, some of yeah. it, but I'm like, ah, no, just let that let him be a bad person. Yeah, totally. But um, yeah, I think if I had to pick my favorite Harry Potter character, I'd probably have to go with the Sorting Hat. Really? <laughs> no, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, I always like Sirius Black. I've I had I like that character. Who's a great like, character? Yeah, yeah. I guess I'd probably go go there. Okay. Um, not that he was like that involved, but I just I thought he was a an important, like, auxiliary character to the story. You know, had strong beliefs in right and wrong yep. uh, and really took his godparenting role yeah. to heart. So talk about someone to, who is misunderstood by, yeah. by oh, society. Completely. Um, in prison, yeah. false imprisonment, yep. you know. Yeah, so that's probably probably where I'd go. Okay. Um, yeah. All right. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll stick, with, stick with that. All right. So it was, it was interesting because it's like, like I said, I grew up with the books. So the the you're going through like a a time phase where oh crap, I just blanked on everything I was going to say. I'm like, oh, like I, there's time periods. I think everyone probably had this. Yeah. There's time periods where you didn't like, like you Harry was obviously the main yeah. character, but there's time periods where I'm like, oh, I don't really. Harry's kind of being a, a not a great person here. Yeah. And yeah. same thing with like Harmony and Ron, yeah. and like they're all periods where like, oh, I really like this character at this point yeah. in the story. Okay, that's and fair. then all of a sudden you that's don't. Fair. That's um, a, all part of story. I think Sirius Black that. was someone who I I consistently liked. Right. Now I did a little research, and a little birdie told me that our caller's favorite Harry Potter character is Bellatrix Lestrange, which I would not have guessed yeah. that. Yeah, another character that's not worthy of a redemption arc. <laughs> <laughs> But a very integral part yeah, of an speaking part of, the story of a villain and, yeah. being a villain. Yeah, that's a great villain. Mm-hmm. She is a fantastic villain from start oh, yeah. to finish. There's no redemption. She played it. Yeah, like if you yep. want a classic villain, that's that's it. Yeah. So yeah, no, a very well played character too. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's a good choice too. That's a good choice. Like the the uh, arch nemesis of my character, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There you go. She killed. She killed your character, yeah. and, and she gloated about it. <laughs> One up on you. Yeah. All right, you ready for the next question? Yes. All yeah. right. Hi, uh, my name is Eve. I live in Missouri, and I love listening to your show. 
I find, uh, well, it's a passive me creating wildlife habitat, wildlife gardening. I mean, gardening for wildlife. <laughs> and, uh, my question is, I, like, I read in one of my native seed catalogs that wild strawberry, you need to have at least three, three different, like, three plants to get good fruit production. You can't just take cuttings off of one plant. So that made me wonder if I have, say, just one plant and I save the seeds of that, is that going to be enough genetic diversification in general or, or do I need to have like three of any plant and save seeds off of all three plants to have enough genetic diversification? Um, and also I, I love listening to the, um, these native plant wildlife gardening podcasts for stress relief on politics and my own life and everything is too much. Oh, they're just such a stress relief. So thank you, and I love all the knowledge. Okay, bye-bye. Eve, thank you for the phone call. Yeah, thank you. I well, We I, can talk politics if you want to talk no, politics. <laughs> I, I, that's, I, I Realistically, at some point, we do have a, a guest that we've just been working out a time frame on when they're yeah. going to come on on to kind of address some of the stuff that is going on politically and how it affects ecosystems yes. and native landscapes yes. and all that because it's it, it ties it's in. a really important part it ties of it in. but um, it's uh, but yeah no i'm glad we can be I'm, stress-free yeah i'm glad that we can be stress-free and we can provide uh stress relief by just being silly like the way we we, we tend to be but this is a very good question yeah and, and a very interesting question and one that i i don't necessarily feel qualified to answer but we're going to give it our best we're going to give it our best shot the, the one thing that Tom and I discussed is it is important to remember that some plants do need a male and female plant. So mm-hmm. you're not necessarily going to get fruit production with one plant because if it's a male plant, obviously you're never going to get fruit. So you have to be cognizant to to have a male and female, which is tough even for what we do. We're selling it at such an age that some of these plants – like say we do winterberry holly. We're selling it at an age before it's even fruiting um, to really know sometimes. Like sometimes you can identify by flower, and, but some things it's it's too early to know if it's a male or female. But typically they're being bought in such quantities that the odds are in the favor that you're going to get enough biodiversity uh, to do now, to, to get. Yeah, fruit. and what's interesting with strawberries in particular, I'd never heard that advice before. Either either at I um, is. And this is, again, why I say I don't feel qualified to answer the question is when you look it up, I haven't found bad advice anywhere. But I also haven't found quality information on whether uh, wild strawberry, which is what's a fregariate Virginia, right, yeah, yeah. is dioecious or monoecious, meaning that they're male and female her- plants are different. Hermaphroditic I think some of them can be hermaphroditic where there's male and female parts on the same plant. But I, I've looked up that they can be self-fertile. And they can be monoecious, but they can also be dioecious. So that's where it gets a little tricky. I know there are some some plants out there too, some fruit bearing plants where, while they can self pollinate, they have you have better overall pollination if you have multiple plants, like pawpaw. Was I think pawpaw is one. Pawpaw is one, but like persimmon, you need to have a male and female. But I guess I think part of the question is you're asking if you collect seed from one plant, you can get male and female. I guess because we've heard things like with blueberries, like oh, you should have multiple different species for best 
fruit bearing. Yeah. I don't know why that is. I've heard that, but I've never read it. Yeah. And I, I think it's a kind of similar idea is you're going to have different pollination windows. If you have yes. multiple, either yeah. multiple individuals or multiple species. While I think blueberry can be, not the varieties of blueberry, just a wild type blueberry, yeah. seed grown blueberry can be self fertile. It's not always good. Like you're going to have some flowers that are going to, it's going to take yeah. and other flowers where it won't. Yes. So if you have more plants, you're going to increase the genetic diversity yes. overall. As long as they aren't the same, like if you, again, if it's a variety or you collected um, wood cuttings from each individual plant, then they're going to be genetically identical and then you're going to have the same problems. Yes. But if you have different plants, like different genetic lines for the plants, now they're going to have more chances of increased genetic diversity and being able to cross. Yes. And that's coming at it from, uh, uh, I took two botany classes in college and, um, <laughs> <laughs> so so I don't know if uh, but, but that brings up a good point too especially if you're dealing with varieties like varietals because when I worked at Star Roses which is also the Connor Powell company um Connor Powell company introduced and had the patents for all the blue hollies and all the china hollies like china boy china girl blue maid blue stallion all those blue prince blue princess um and it always it often got asked which male pollinates which female, and it's – it could be any of them as long as they're blooming in that same window. They have to be blooming at the same time mm-hmm. if you want the pollination. If one – because I know that happens with Ilex verticillata because the selections are taken from all over the country that there's like a, a male pollen – like early male, late male so that you're getting a bloom that matches up so that you get the pollination for the fruit. So that's yeah. the one thing you have to keep in mind with the pollination. Um, mm-hmm. But if you were to take all the seed from one plant and grow it, is that enough? I think it would take a long time if you did it that way yeah. to do, eventually build up that genetic diversity where you're there because they're going to be crossing and crossing and crossing, yeah. and eventually they're going to develop enough. But I don't know how long that would take. Yeah. Um, so if you yeah, just start I, with that, three plants. For that answer, I think you need to ask Gregor Mendel. And then yeah, tell you uh, <laughs> <laughs> but if you start off, if you're starting off with three plants, obviously that yeah. just increased your your odds of having enough ge- genetic diversity. Yeah. Now the other, you talked about winterberry holly before, and yeah. one of the some of the advice because we're growing it from seed, yes, and we don't know what it's. Those are yeah. that's a dioecious mon- yeah. uh, dioecious plant. Yeah. So you have male and female plants, and we don't know which because of the age. Yes. Um, that's a plant when someone's buying some, and they say, "Well, how do I know if I have males or free females?" And I say that's the advice I would give is yeah. buy three yeah. because then the chance of you having both sexes is way up. If you're yes. only buying two, it's there's not tr- yeah. If and, you're buying three, the chance that they're all going to be the same, and like basically the more you get, so they could just be that kind of probabilities advice saying, yeah. well, if you buy three, there's a good chance. I was just I'm I keep googling no. Frigaria virginiana monoecious dioecious, and it's like. Each result, I'm looking at the page right now, and it's like first result is from Pitt University of Pitt saying that they're they're dioecious. Um, next one down is saying it's a uh, it's dioecious. The one after that says that they can be both <laughs> that it's dioecious. One says that they can be monoecious, dioecious, or trioecious, which I'm not sure what trioecious is. Uh, I I don't remember. That's a that. new term for me. Yeah. So uh, you know the 
The but other, I think most of them are dioecious is the general sense I'm getting. I think so. buying three is fantastic advice. The other rule of thumb that we used to give, and I don't remember where I got this information or if it's even accurate, but like people would ask like again on Winterberry Hollies or China China or Blue Hollies, how many male per female? And it used to be one male per ten females. Mm-hmm. Um you know, hadn't worked there and having planted like Dragon Lady Holly in my property, I didn't plant a male, mm-hmm. but there was a holly blooming at the same time somewhere in the neighborhood that was pollinating and getting berry set on the yeah. Dragon Lady Holly. So it just has to be one close by. Um, I, I'm assuming if you're doing wild strawberry, there's there's probably not other ones blooming close by, but certain plants you can look at your neighborhood and see who has what. More than likely, someone's gonna something's going to pollinate it, but um, I think going with three plants is good for at least knowing that you're getting mm-hmm. one male and one female. Yeah. yeah. So, so that was yeah. our uneducated. For, for us, er- not knowing what we're talking about, we sure did talk about that a lot. <laughs> so hopefully, you aren't more confused, uh, Eve. Before, before you may have to go started. back. You may have to go back and listen to that like three times and go, "What did they just talk in a big circle?" We may have. Don't yeah. actually don't go back and listen to it. Yeah, just yeah. I guess to summarize, we don't know the firm answer using other examples from different different plant species. I can understand the advice to buy three. Yeah. I just don't, and I think that's probably a good route to go if you have that opportunity. Um, now, if one of our yeah. listeners knows that answer, like yeah. one of our cu- listeners who's a customer or something like that, and you want to call in and clarify, mm-hmm. uh, add a little bit more than that. You can uh, you can definitely call in at two one five three four six six one eight nine and tell us that we're idiots and tell us what the right answer is. Yeah. So exactly. I think we probably are pretty close. I think so. Yeah. Somewhere in our ramble, we have the right answer. Yes. yes. Uh, we just don't know which which part of it is. <laughs> so. We just give a bunch of answers. Yeah. You know how it's like one male to ten females. It's like we gave ten answers. One of those is right. Yep. yep. There you go. Uh, right. So we don't have a Grow Reader book. Yeah, I know the last buzz. I promised I was going to be reading a lot. Um, the, what ended up happening is there was a little thing called the uh, Tropical Storm Nicole. That, oh, uh, you know that what? We didn't do it so as we a follow-up. Fo- we didn't do a f- the follow-up. Yeah. I meant to bring that up, but you ended up – we said that you were going on vacation, and you didn't go on vacation. Yes, uh did not go on vacation. Now we're going in two weeks. So the time of our next buzz comes out, I'll actually be – on a giant ship that uh, somewhere, somewhere probably in the Bahamas, I think, at yeah. that point. All right. But, awesome. Yeah. So, uh, and at that point, I'll be doing some more reading. And um, we should have saved that for the secret. Yeah. Oh, no. I have a, I have another secret. I okay. Wrote down, so. All right. Awesome. Uh, but, and, and then for a, a topic, yes. not a big topic, but as if you're like Fran, not me, I'm not a yeah. big Black Friday shopper. Fran, I know you can be. I've um, actually, I have. Eighty percent of my Christmas shopping done. Okay, interesting. Yeah, that's an, another interesting change. But if you're the opposite, that's of actually me, pretty normal for me. It's oh, I've okay. just been behind the eight ball yeah. the past couple of years. If you if you are into Black Friday, we do have a Black Friday deal with our T-shirt Ooh, sales. Do tell. So uh, if you go on our website, yes. nativeplantshealthyplant.com, there's a banner at the top. Takes you to our Teespring store, and then when you're checking out, you pick your what stuff you want. When you're checking out, if you use the code uh, NTVPLNTS, it'll give you 10% off 
any purchase Ooh, you make. That's a great. So that's a great deal. The way I know uh, that's everyone's doing Black Friday sales. We're going to do one too. You can get ten percent off uh, some of these designs. Um, it expires on uh, the following Friday. So we got what Black Friday? Yep. is today. Yep. The Cyber Monday is Monday. The our sale. Some people cut it off on Tuesday. I think it's. We're going. We're going all the way to the following Woo-hoo! Friday, which is December second. So December second. Yeah, I think it's December second. So you have a week from right yeah. now to go and buy buy some t shirts. We always talk about like a good way to persuade a neighbor or a friend or a family member for native mm-hmm. plant. Great way, fantastic great. message. Who doesn't like getting going, clothes on Christmas? The money's going to a great cause, and yeah, I. Except for the time that my sister gave me a panic at the disco shirt. Didn't like that. <laughs> Not a big fan of that. I'll use I can use that as a secret too. Yeah. So. Yeah, that would that would be a good one. All right. Um so my take it or leave it. I know you can see it, but I want to explain it. So uh I just mentioned that Agatha and I had gone hiking uh at the Winona Trails and there's Winona Lake and I can't remember the other lake uh there. Massive amount of beaver damage. <clears throat> now Every tree along the lakes, they had caged after the beavers started Mm -hmm. to peck at them. Everything they removed or everything that the beavers knocked down, they removed so that nothing could be damned. Is that a good idea? Should we allow nature – we already know that beavers are keystone species, that they create biodiversity by some of the habitats created. Are we we doing the wrong thing by preventing beavers from doing their job? Oh, in my opinion, yeah. No, we're not doing the wrong thing. Okay, <laughs> because because if you stop the beavers from doing their job, there is no wide known trails anymore. No, there's Probably not, and there's likely. no there's it's, or the lake is a bigger lake. Yeah, you know. Yeah, so um, I think that's one of the things we need to understand of that, that idea of a keystone species yeah. is it doesn't mean that we need to treasure it beyond anything else. Yes, there's still balance when it comes to that. We look at the wolves in Yellowstone. Yes. You have too many wolves in Yellowstone, the whole thing falls apart yes. just as easily as if you have too much of anything else. Yeah. So it's the same thing with beavers. It's like you have too many beavers. Every our, tree our had society beaver damage is, of every size. Yeah, it our was society amazing. is so integrated with with nature. Like We say it all the time. We should be integrated, but our infrastructure is so close to nature in so many cases. If you just let nature or beavers take control, it doesn't work. Yeah. We need to kind of find, okay, we've reached this point. We need to find that balance to maintain where we're at. We don't want to go keep going too far with uh, development, in my opinion. We yeah. don't want to keep developing so much and just completely take over nature. And we don't want, I think we can give a little bit away and let nature come back in some. But if okay. you just let it go wild, it's going to, we're going to have, Major, major infrastructure issues. I actually agree with you on that yeah. one. It's um, obviously there is an issue with beaver there, and they want to do some work through that whole thing. But mm. that those trails, it's six miles of trails. If you if you live in New Jersey, especially southern New Jersey, go visit Winona. Is a pretty cool mm. town anyway. Most of the houses there are from the eighteen hundreds, but it's six miles of trails. We walked with a lot of history. We walked five miles of them, and we kind of got a little bit of everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it was – there was – it, it kind of reminded me of parts of, of Crystal Lake. Like it was like the time that land forgot and it was a topography that you didn't expect to see in southern New Jersey. But you did get open meadows. There were glades. There were 
were hills. There were valleys. It was pretty – there were lakes. It was pretty awesome. We even came across a stand of uh, Euonymus americanus, mm. which is something that you don't see too often yeah, anymore in definitely. the wild. And they were kind of covered in brambles, and, and I went and freed them all from the brambles <laughs> to try to – now that I know they're there, I may go back and try to steward that to make sure they survive. Um, but it was I, – I kind of agreed. I'm like this is a pretty special area, and – if they didn't do what they were doing, it would completely change this area, and I can't say mm-hmm. that it would be for the better. So I saw – we saw a lot of diverse birds. It, it was pretty mm-hmm. pretty cool. First – for five miles, we saw everything. Yeah. You yeah. know, and it's – We had some, some – Also a lot of invasives. Like a, a beaver issue on our, our farm one time where um, – and I talked to like the beaver biologist for New Jersey, mm-hmm. and uh, they were like, oh, yeah, this is the time of year – so the the beaver pups are born in the spring, yeah, and then you get to end of summer, early fall, they get kicked out, and it's like hey, you got to find your own stream to to go in. Like yeah. you're not you're not hanging out in our neck of the woods anymore. And um, and when it comes to property boundaries, it get really difficult because what's happening on our property is going to affect our neighbors. And even though we may take care of the issue on our property. Well, they could do it on the others, like a little bit further downstream and we're still going to have the same problem and yeah. we have nothing we can do then. It's got to be on the next property owner, but you're going to, and basically how it's explained to us is eventually those, the pups that we have are going to reach maturity yeah. and then they're going to have pups of their own and they're going to, you're just going to keep having them moving more and more and more yeah. and just, Eventually, the population gets to a point so big that it's just flooding a lot of area. They're just damming so much, yeah. and you have a lot of issues. Uh, for us, it was an infrastructure issue because we had roads that we needed to get to, and because of how they dam stuff up, it was flooding the roads, and we couldn't access different parts of the farm. Gotcha. Um, so, yeah, and uh, so there's a lot of trapping that's going on. It's, hey, it's one of the things that was really important, not yeah. just to uh, European colonization, but it was important to the Native Americans as well. Um, one thing I will say. For all the, the beaver damage at those hikes, when I worked at Princeton Nursery, they would actually cut down trees we were growing to dam up the streams through the farms. Um, the, the the New York property with, with the lake there that was beaver yeah. created. Yep. I've never actually seen a beaver. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're interesting looking creatures. They'll scare the crap out of you. Uh, when So they usually come out at night. Okay. And, um, and say like you're walking by – a body of water. Yeah. Like they can really scare you. Cause all of a sudden you'll just be walking by and you hear a, like a real loud <laughs> yeah. and it's them slapping their tail yeah. on the water just to scare whatever scare predators yeah. there. And then they'll dive under and, okay. And then they go to their lodges. They're really, really unique and interesting looking. I would like to see so, one for all the, for all the habitat I've never actually encountered. one. Yeah. There's a, a cookbook, like a wild game cookbook I have that has a recipe for like grilled beaver tail. And, wow. um, I've always been interested in trying. I guess it's like really fatty, and I've heard it's pretty good. But yeah, nice. I, I don't know if I want to try that. Yeah, I I haven't. I've never caught. I'm not a, a trapper, yeah. so I've never caught one. I've seen people catch them, but okay, I've never tried it. Interesting. At some point, I probably will, but yeah, and yeah, probably not for me. <laughs> all right, so we both we're leafing. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm leafing that all for right. sure. All right, awesome. I think that's all we got. What do yeah. you think? Yeah, I think so too. Okay. I think I think we're good there. Um, awesome. Yeah, so that's going to wrap us up to, 
wrap us up for today. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed listening to The Buzz. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Native Plants Healthy Planet presented by Pylons Nursery. Uh, we want to give a big thank you to RJ Comer for our Buzz theme music. Make sure you stream or buy RJ's music on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you consume your music. But more importantly, check out his uh, Americana playlists on uh, Pandora. You won't forgive yourself if you do. I've been listening to a lot of Chris Stapleton recently. I don't know not what got fan. me back on that. What? Not You're really not a fan? <laughs> Are you serious? I could use this as a secret too. No, I, I do like Chris Stapleton. Um, it's <laughs> I've, I've told this story in the office yeah, before. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I should tell it on here. Uh, I will save it for another episode. Yeah. So um, make sure you follow us on Twitter at Pineland Nursery, Facebook at Pinelands Nursery NJ, Instagram at Pinelands Nursery or Native Plants underscore Healthy Planet. And, of course, also at YouTube at Pinelands Nursery. Uh, thank you for the questions and comments that were left on the question and comment line. You, too, can call at 215-346-6189. I will repeat that, 215-346-6189. Ask a question or leave a comment. We're going to play it on a future episode of The Buzz, and we're going to answer it to the best of our ability. And I love our Facebook group. I really do. Every time I look, I'm just it brings smiles to my faces. So if you're not a member, go there and join so you can vote on our this and that. And that's um, the Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook group. Keep it going over there. Yeah, so like I was mentioning earlier, uh, we have our Black Friday sale promotion going on right now. So yes. it's uh, you can find our Teespring store at www.nativeplantshealthyplanet.com. There's that banner right at the top. Click that. It takes you to our store. We have a bunch of different T-shirt designs. Really was trying to have an apron design. I might hop on right now and try and get All right, that back do up. It. They, do it. they said it was a copyright infringement. I There's don't know. No way. I, what did I infringe on myself? I think you did. <laughs> I think you did. But um, but uh, you just have to use code uh, NTVPLNTS um, at checkout, and it'll give you ten percent off anything you buy in the store. If you haven't put that together, that is native plants. Without the vowels. Wow. So it's a NTVPLNTS nice. is the code you get awesome. 10% off. Um, and then whatever profits we make off those shirts, we just take them and flip them right to to a deserving uh, nonprofit that that we like to work with yeah. ourselves. That's, we feel is doing the right stuff. Speaking of which, ground. we need to go visit Bowman Hill. We do, yeah. Got to go visit yeah. and say hello. With a big check. Yes. So, yes. Um, you can also listen to the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast at our website, www.nativeplantshealthyplanet.com. Um, you're probably going to listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, really wherever you consume your podcasts, uh, iHeartRadio. Uh, we're, we're everywhere. So um, when you're doing that, if it is at all possible, leave us a five-star review and, uh, and do a little write-up. I'll give you a shout-out on one of our Buzz episodes if you do the write-up part. But just a five-star review really goes a long way. You're going to be at Thanksgiving. Here's here's your here's your real assignment. Yes. You're going to ask everyone to pull out their phones. Oh, crap, I had to sneeze. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So I don't um, think that's ever happened in no. 134 yeah, episodes, to, 133 to pull out everyone, Ask everyone to pull out their phones and go to their podcast player of choice and subscribe to Native Plants Healthy Planet. And uh, and give us a five star review. All right, listen. You're, this is you're going to be around the most people you've right. been around in a long time. Let's let's so. make this a competition. How about this? So we know that they did it at Thanksgiving, and this is how they did it. Yeah, do a five star review, and as a comment, just either write Fran or Tom. <laughs> I think this is asking too much of people. Is uh, 
I, I think <laughs> no, you you're already you. asking them to ask a lot of their families. Uh, I'm already asking them to ask a lot of their families. Now they got to, who the heck are Fran and Tom? They're, they're not going to go one. there. Just <laughs> pick one. That way we know they did it and then we can make yeah. it a competition. But, um, no, can, that, how about we I'm, give the winner? How about, no, you can't. Give I don't know how, yeah, yeah how are you going to find mind. who the winner is? Yeah, never mind. Yeah. All right. Fran's we'll trying to that. make it a competition. I don't I see how you possibly can. We're asking you to do this out of the goodness of your heart for us. Um, because we're thankful for all of you. We are. We're thank you. You're thankful for us too. This is this is how you can show how thankful you, know you are. I'll take a quick second. I, I am thankful, especially now that we're at episode 133, that you and I still get to do this yeah. because this oh, yeah. is a highlight for me every week. So even though sometimes it's crazy and we go, "How are we going to do it?" and that's everyone's comment is, "How do you manage to do one a week?" Yep. I still don't know, but we do because we love doing it. Oh yeah. And I'm thankful that we we continue to get to do this. So, so thank you. All right. I, I have a secret. Okay. Do you want to share your secret as well? Mine I yeah. have to share. It's very innocent. It's yeah. very it's, mine is too, and mine's okay. pretty quick. So Yeah, we mine's can do very both. quick. Is uh going back to sweet gums and you talked about stepping yeah. on sweet gum balls in uh in, and uh back when I was a senior in high school, I'd broken my foot playing lacrosse. Actually I broke it playing basketball. Made it worse playing lacrosse. I didn't know it was broken yet. Yeah. And um and I was healing. And uh, had I was in a walking boot for I don't know a couple months. First day off, I took the walking boot. I'm walking across the street from where I parked my car to school. Step on a sweet gum ball and rebroke. I didn't yeah. know that. Oh, yeah. Really? Yep. So yeah, it, I can verify that it does in fact hurt to do that. <laughs> That's so. a great secret. Yep. Uh, yep. I mentioned earlier my sister buying me a Panic at the Disco. Um, um, T-shirt. So in, in a former life, I had a alternative music uh, internet radio show for about two years, two and a half years. And I, I never failed to mention how, my dislike for Panic at the Disco. I kind of felt that they were overrated and it was more based on looks than it was talent. And I couldn't understand – like and, and marketing push because mm-hmm. I couldn't understand yeah. how so many people enjoyed it because I didn't feel it was enjoyable. So uh, I would – I would uh, also joke back and forth with the listeners on social media about that. Like they always knew there was going to be an eye roll gif anytime Panic at the Disco was mentioned. So I don't do social media with my family. Social media is my – like with the exception of some things that I leave like unlocked. Like – but for the most part, I don't do social media with family. And uh, my – both of my sisters found my – my radio show Twitter account mm-hmm. and knew that my dislike for Panic and the Disco. So one year for Christmas, I got a box of band shirts and I opened it up and I'm like, oh, my chemical romance. This is incredible. Oh, look, uh, Black Sabbath. I love this. And then on the bottom was Panic at the Disco and I didn't know how to react. I just kind of looked at it and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and I, I put the shirts, you know, the other shirts back on top of it. And everyone's just staring at me, and they all just bust out laughing because they had <laughs> they had found out my yeah. my Twitter. They they found out I hated it, and they wanted to see what my reaction was. So yeah. they they kind of trolled me, yeah. which was like a perfect. That's I wasn't expecting one. that, but it was pretty awesome. Yeah. And then I I wore it for my next radio show. Just yeah, no, that's a good one. I don't think I've worn it since. I still have it. Mm-hmm. 
You should so. need to bust it out and wear it here. So. <laughs> all right. I'll do that. <laughs> so, I'll do that. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, again. I'm Tom. And I am Fran. Thanks again, everyone. I uh, hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, coming up, we have another guest. I'm not going to tell you who. you got to wait and see. Uh, but we'll see you again next time. And until then, keep it native. Thank you for listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planted Podcast presented by Pinelands Nursery. Remember to like, share, follow, and comment.